Hi everyone, this is the Hearsay Podcast. My name is Saya and this is episode number 52. This is another COVID and world politics distraction podcast, so there won't be too much talk about the craziness that's happening in the world at the moment, but I hope you do understand that we are allies, we are thinking and talking about it, we are raising and donating money, and we really do care. So having said that, My guest today is the lovely and chatty Bernard Fanning, who probably doesn't need an introduction, but for those of you who do need one, he is the singer from the behemoth Brisbane band Powderfinger, and he has, of course, got his super successful solo career as well. Bernard and I caught up over the phone a few days after Powderfinger had reformed for one night only to raise money for Beyond Blue and Support Act. Now, I have put some links to Beyond Blue and Support Act in the show notes. So if you do want to make a donation, you can do it there. And if you're not sure who they are, Beyond Blue is an organization working to address issues associated with depression, suicide, anxiety disorders, and other related mental illnesses. And Support Act is a charity delivering crisis relief services to artists, crew, and music workers in Australia. So both very important and very worthwhile causes. There's one mini thing I want to semi-clear up in this introduction. I talked to Bernard about having a memory of running into Powderfinger in Canada uh, years and years ago, and I've since talked to both people in the band that I was in at the time, Sekiden, as well as Ian Hogue, or Hoggy, as you might know him uh, by he's the guitarist from Powderfinger and nobody else remembers this, but I did some deep digging and it does look like Powderfinger and Sekiden were in similar areas in Canada at the same time at the end of May, 2004. So who knows? Maybe it did happen. I mean, it doesn't really matter if we did or we didn't. It's just a matter of, um, you know, me questioning my own memory at this point. And Bernard and I do talk a lot about memory in this podcast. So I wanted to touch on it a tiny bit in the intro. Bernard's strange show story was illustrated by his amazing artist wife, Andrea. And you can check out more of her work on Instagram at Andrea underscore Portella underscore Marino. Uh, It's just a beautiful illustration. I urge you all to go seek out more of her work. There is quite a lot of swearing in this episode, so please be careful if listening with kids. Like and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen. Uh, Leave me a review if you like on iTunes because it helps people be able to find the podcast in the sea of one billion podcasts. So if if you want to do that, it would mean a lot to me if you left me a little comment, but obviously no pressure. Thank you so much for listening. This is episode number 52 Bernard Fanning. doing how are your feelings um i feel terrible no i'm actually good i'm quite good if you hear something weird it's just me taking my sandals off so oh okay yeah that's good to know um yeah 
At least everyone. it wasn't like you taking a piss or something. No, I'm not in the toilet. I'm actually. If you hear something weird, yeah. I'm just doing a shit. <laughs> just, I'm just <laughs> dropping one. Um, no, I'm I'm well, thanks. I'm feeling well. I. That's good. Um, you were saying in your text message the other day that you know it's kind of hard to have a complaint about living in Byron and and stuff during the quarantine. Yeah, it's been pretty. It's been pretty nice down here. I mean, I think we haven't really obviously been anywhere near as impacted here as as other parts of the world but my wife is is andrea is from madrid so her mum and her brother and family and friends are all living through it right you know are they okay they're all okay yeah they're all okay no one's that's thank god i did speak to a friend in the uk who's who's had he he they're assuming he's had covid for the last eight Eight weeks. He's holy shit. My age, so he's only twenty-one. No, he's um, <laughs> forty-nine or something. But he's been really, really, really sick. Like, yeah, he's walked around the block once in a month. That's as much as he could muster. It's just so scary because there's there's no precedent. You can't say, well, in six months you're going to be fine, or in you know, no, it's no just one, terrifying. No for one the has people. a clue, do they? Really? That's at, really at this point. awful. Yeah. So, yeah, I, f- I feel really lucky that we live here as well. And I'm one of those annoying people that's like, oh, I've got all this time now to do all the things that I want to do. Yeah. Um, I am getting a lot done. I'm getting a lot started. I'm getting not getting a lot finished, <laughs> unfortunately. But, you know, we've had yeah. – we've got two kids, so we've had two kids at home yes. to homeschool and all that stuff. How's that going? So, uh, it was fine, you know. It was – they're not uh, horrendous children so yeah <laughs> good to hear yeah no they they were pretty good i mean there was there was, actually wasn't that much work they were finished by before lunch most of the time so they were just in full bmx bandit mode around the street yeah um i really love thinking about the earliest memory that i can of the person that i'm talking to and your that my first memory of you and I suppose um, it's a little bit different because you were already in a really big band when right. I first saw you guys play. But I definitely remember seeing Powderfinger play at a Livid Festival in maybe 95 or 96. It was one of my first ever festivals. At Davies Park? Yes, Davies yeah. Park. Yep. Um, and my main memory was that the singer had like really luscious long <laughs> hair. <laughs> and I remember thinking, wow, look at that. <laughs> yeah. Wow, look at that hair. That's it. I've seen photos of that gig not that long ago. Um, and I, I don't think any of us were wearing shoes, which was very, you know, de jour in, that in was West very End 90s. at the time. We, and we, I think we most of us lived around there as well. So, you know. Right, right, right. The, it's that weird thing about memory. You see a photo of something and then that kind oh, of yeah. that plants the memory. I, I have another memory that I actually think is a false memory because mm. I talked to both members of Sekiden about it this week. Mm. And I had this really weird memory of running into you guys in Canada somewhere. Oh, yeah. I can even picture the cafe that we were in. And then I talked to both Mirko and Simon who would have been there and they were like, nah. No. <laughs> yeah, didn't right. Happen. I can't remember. Where Where do you reckon it was? You don't know? Toronto or Vancouver or something? I feel like it was somewhere random like like Winnipeg or something. Oh, uh, look, it's <laughs> it's possible because we actually toured in Canada quite a lot. Yeah, so did we. Yeah, right. Maybe it was a dream. Uh, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> 
<laughs> what an amazing dream. I met Powerfinger in a Winnipeg cafe. How interesting. How Pretty interesting. They interesting. were so interesting. They were wearing beanies. Um, <laughs> no shoes. Yeah, no shoes, but beanies. Um, that's weird because I have a memory. I, I know this for a fact that I met Cram from Spiderbait in Canada in a cafe because oh. I think we must have all, all been playing it. Isn't there right. a South by, or North by Northeast, I think it used to be called. Yeah, was North it, by was, Northeast yeah, yeah. in did, Toronto. Maybe you guys were playing that too. Were you playing that yeah. at some stage? Maybe, maybe it did happen. Maybe it did happen. <laughs> maybe you've got a brilliant memory. Who knows? Um, can you, and I don't want, I'm very conscious of not wanting to ask you questions that you've been asked a bazillion times before. It's okay. But I, but I think I will. Probably. Um, <laughs> where does the name, no, I'm just joking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what are your influences? <laughs> <laughs> I do want to know though about, um, about growing up and, and, mm. you know, do you have a moment where you thought like, I want to be a musician or do you have like memories of romanticizing music when you were young or? Oh yeah. God. Yeah. I mean. I was the youngest of four. Um, I had a brother who's 10 years older than me. Um, so we were pretty heavily influenced by the music that he listened to because um, it just came through the wall. Um, so he was really into the Beatles and he also liked David Bowie. And so this is in this kind of mid-late 70s. He, he, was, he was at university in 77 I think so I would have been Mm -hmm. seven or eight years old then um but I and I also have another brother who's immediately one year older than me and we shared a room until we were 15 or 16 or something um and so we were right into the Beatles as a result of that but we also we were smack bang in the middle of the Kiss era so yeah so we got really into kiss heavily into kiss with you know collecting kiss cards and all that stuff Amazing. yeah then david bowie someone introduced us well my brother was into bowie as well my oldest brother so that was kind of really key kind of change i guess yeah um what um what era bowie was it well it was that kind of mid 70s stuff so i think i think he probably had changes one or something like that you know like a best of or i can't remember exactly i remember seeing that i remember seeing that record cover around um but just hearing all that and then so we kind of we allowed David Bowie to kind of crowd into the Beatles playlist that was (laughs) and and kiss (laughs) playlists that were going and um yeah, so that kind of set us off on a bit of a different path into British stuff, I guess. More British. I don't know if there's anything more British than the Beatles, but, um, yeah. you know. <laughs> Maybe but, the kinks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, possibly. Um, but, yeah, all that stuff. And um, Did the Kiss stuff then, like, translate into other rock excess stuff you know like uh, like hair metal and stuff that came directly from kids yeah yeah absolutely in the in the 80s yeah yeah for sure into you know um uh i really like van halen um and who doesn't and yeah i mean it's one of those things if you don't like van halen it's kind of like you probably need to explain yourself. Um, Who even are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go and have a long, hard look at yourself. <laughs> and let me qualify that by saying 
David Lee Roth era Van Halen because oh yeah yeah you know no Sam- Sammy Hagar can no no nah, no thanks not even comparable no in fact when we were in Powderfinger we used to joke about i used to joke about leaving the band and um say i well, you just call sammy hager <laughs> <laughs> he'll take care of it and were they all like no <laughs> no they were all probably thinking that's oh, not a bad idea <laughs> we'll get rid of this fuckwit um, <laughs> um similar hair vibe <laughs> yeah yeah i didn't have the curls though he oh yeah that's sammy true. did have not the as curls. luscious as yours no <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the atomic mushroom, as my friend Jean calls it. Night so hair. this is I talked to Jean today. Our, oh, did you? Our mutual friend Jean. Yeah. And I mentioned to her that I was going to be interviewing you, <laughs> and if there were any anything I should ask you about, and she said, ask him about his atomic mushroom. <laughs> I said, "Is this gonna be? Is this gonna be rude?" No. And she was like, "Just ask him." Yeah, it could have gone either way that one, couldn't it? But no, it's my hair because it looks like it looks like a mushroom has exploded on my head when it gets long. I was, so yeah, that's amazing. I was going to leave that to last, but right. I'm so glad that right. you brought it up without me having to mention it. <laughs> I had no idea where that was gonna go. No, it's all so, good. Okay, it's all so okay, so your hair. hair. Yeah. Anyway, right, we can cool. probably get away from my hair. Um, Sorry. <laughs> it's fine. Did I tell you this was a hair podcast? No, I wasn't aware of that. It's just, you know, some casual conversations about hair care, um, you know, what <laughs> sure. shampoo you use. Yeah. What are your um, beauty secrets? What are yeah. your beauty secrets? Do yeah. you have a nickname for your hairdo? That kind of thing. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. I'm, cool. I'm, I'm ticking glad. all the boxes. It was a good boxes. segue. Yeah. Great. <laughs> okay, cool. So, um... So back to... <laughs> oh, yeah, back to music. Well, yeah, so Kiss, David Bowie, that stuff, Van Halen, yeah, and then into some some bad 80s metal, I guess. Um, right. I did see Motley Crue at Boondle. Uh, did in, you? I think it was 1989 or something like that. Um, but I was very much moving away from that world. I think, in fact... I might have been, someone might have given me a ticket and that might have been why I, yeah. I went. But I, I saw Bon Jovi on the Slippery When Wet tour and that was I've just incredible. I've heard he's incredible live. Oh, yeah. that was, it was amazing. Um, I've never seen him, but it sounds great. Like he can really still pull it off. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't rush there now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I I'm still partial to a as you may have gathered, to a giant chorus. and um, Oh, yeah. So, uh, I, you know, it's not like I go around putting on Bon Jovi records, but in <laughs> 1985 when there was, you know, in Brisbane there was Triple Z and Triple M, I think, um, and Radio 10. Um, What's Radio 10? Radio 10 was the AM, uh, when, when AM went stereo. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. It was the like it classic was, hit. Yeah, four IP was actually the the station that it became. It became Radio Ten. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. So a little bit of hair metal, but also my eldest brother was into um, James Taylor and oh, and Rodriguez because he was at, oh, uni- wow. at, at university in the seventies, and that's kind of where one of his biggest audiences in the world was, was in Australian universities, That's basically right. just people passing tapes around. And, um, and in fact, that Searching for Sugar Man uh, yeah. 
documentary, documentary was it was criminal that they didn't talk about Australia because that was one of his biggest most popular places you know that's yeah right that record cold fact just got passed around it was you know it was seven or eight years old by then but it was just being passed around on cassettes yeah um, and what did you feel really smug when you watched that like oh, I knew about him when <laughs> yeah not really I, I actually didn't watch it for a long time because I watched a bit of it and I just didn't I wasn't that interested to be honest in the way that really? it was being presented yeah but I eventually watched it and it was great to be honest but um but yeah I mean Rodriguez actually, I think, was probably certainly in the early years of songwriting for me, was probably the biggest influence that I had because I liked the real darkness in the lyrics, yeah. the wordplay and the simplicity of the the music. The music was so simple. Um, it was just him kind of flopping away on his on his classical his nylon guitar really um and and his voice was so compelling just the tone of his voice it was kind of like in the same way that there's those you know american gospel preachers they have that thing that makes you just want to listen yeah it's a sincerity or something yeah you you can hear that they mean it conviction i guess um i mean i think that has eventually become sort of my measure for whether I do or I don't like things it's music in particular and and it's it's more about whether whether someone means it or not you know Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter whether it's um you know Miley Cyrus or you know the drones so it's kind of that's the important thing if they're if they're trying to communicate an idea and you can hear that they mean it that's that kind of gets it over the line for me i mean i would also add a whistleable melody to that um yes. because that's just <laughs> and i think that's just you know i was infected by that by by the beatles really yes from from the very beginning and it kind of it's i mean it's kind of lame but i still measure a lot of things against the beatles because so do I. it's so it's, I share that upbringing for sure. Yeah, it's really it's just really deep, deeply cut into my being that that music, yeah. um, and be- just because of the um, the the facets that there were so many facets to it, you know. But I wondered with, for you how to how do bands like Pavement or something fit into that grid? They're the kind of band that would maybe have a bit more of a stream of consciousness, yeah, type lyric rather than a meaning you know, that is easily identifiable. As I've got older, I've become, I've come to appreciate much more bands like Pavement and Sonic Youth and those types of bands, but they were never part of really even my field of view. I used to go, I lived in Tawong, I grew up in Tawong, and James Straker, who was in the Melnicks, um, had a record shop in the little, a little alley in Tuong called Silver Rock, mm. Silver Rocket Records. That's right. So I just I lived on Sherwood Road, which is where it was. Um, yeah. With my family, that's Tw- where slash that's, toy store and stuff, right? Yeah. Eventually, he started getting yeah weird cuddly toys and all sorts of weird yeah. stuff. Um, <laughs> and but I remember going in there. I think I was probably eighteen. It was would have been like or maybe a little older. I can't remember what year it was, but you know it would have been around the late 80s or early 90s and 
going in there and flicking through all the records and kind of getting talking to him eventually and you know he was a nice dude and he was always trying to get me to listen to Sonic Youth and all this all these other kinds of um records and I was like mate I'm actually here because I want to I'm looking for Rod Stewart I think <laughs> I think you're barking up the wrong tree <laughs> Um, I'd like to listen to a Faces record, please, like a yeah. dirty bar bar band, you know. Um, yeah. Not um, like New York art rock. It wasn't. Yeah. It just it just wasn't on my agenda. So <laughs> we were we were we were at completely cross purposes. But I mean, I think that's kind of actually a bit of a microcosm of what the Brisbane music scene was like eventually in the nineties. That there was, you know, there's there's always the kind of credibility high bar where you do have to talk about Sonic Youth or whatever, you know what I mean? Like there's all that stuff. Fagazi. Fagazi, of (laughs) course. Yeah, absolutely. Television, blah, blah, blah. Um, The birthday party, et cetera. Um, But I just never went in for it. I just, I just didn't care if people thought what I was into was cool or not. I thought it, I thought it was cool. You know, it just didn't bother me. It didn't really bother me. Um, And I think also because once you're in the music industry or the music scene for a while, you you realise that indie rock or you know art rock or whatever, it's it's just as contrived as anything else. It's there's 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 all of this contrivance of. You know, you know, having to mention those, you know, you're having to name check the right bands and all that sort of stuff, and yeah. and it just seems so stupid to me that 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 mentality. So it is stupid. Yeah, it is. yeah, it is. Well, because it's snobbery as well. It's a, it's it's supposed to be a kind of reaction to you know what people perceived as the the dumbness of commercial rock and i and i get that yeah but when it turns into a reverse snobbery it's just it's just dumb it's just it's just as dumb as 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 the commercial rock that they're kind of railing against so i agree but mm. i think when you're young and i i don't know if you had this but i certainly think that you know when between like being a teenager and maybe being like in your very early 20s music for me was so important to me that I would like I wouldn't go out with a boy that didn't like <laughs> ween or something you know yeah I'd be, I'd be such a snob about like I cannot believe you don't know you know wh- what whoever I was into at the time I totally get that because a girl that I was going out with in when I was in year 12 um left me broke my heart uh, left me for a guy who liked the Smiths, so I've hated the Smiths ever since. I cannot. If Still. if my oh man, if Morrissey's voice enters my my hearing, it immediately makes me want to just strangle a kitten or something. That's amazing. Well, there are other problems with Morrissey now. You'd be happy oh, to know. God, that, I know, you know, I know. It's he's he's, he's a just, problematic, yeah, problematic uh, subject. Yeah, he's 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 a very complicated human being, obviously, yeah. but but not in a. Not in an interesting way at all to me in any, <laughs> anymore, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I also do realise, I do realise that, you know, the Smiths 
uh, to a lot of people what the Beatles are to me, you know, or of course, you know what yeah. Led Zeppelin are to me. So, um, and I get that, but you know, that's another kind of symptom of getting older and just not really caring and realizing yeah. that you know who gives a shit really, who gives a shit what music you like. And you're right when you when you're a teenager, that stuff is is really important. And I think especially in the era that I grew up because. Music was a lot more tribal than it is now. You know, there was, you know, you were in the Kiss Army, for example, you know. That's right. <laughs> they had an army. They were fan clubs. Yeah. yeah. So Big fan clubs. You know, and all of that stuff. I mean, it's been kind of talked about ad nauseum, but just that idea that you didn't know that much about the people that you were listening to and you had to yeah. use your imagination and you had, to, you had to put yourself so much into the music and yeah. make it your life you know part of your life rather than what we see now where there's just so much information about everybody that yeah there's there's so little mystery there you know yeah I know it is it is really weird I often wonder what it would be like growing up now being like if you if you were the same person but everything was you know technology was as yeah. it is now yeah it would be really strange because I I was a very obsessive kid and it I would have just been like just beyond obsessed with people's Instagrams or, you know, yeah. whatever yeah, was around. Yeah. It's terrifying. You mean things like having the entire history of recorded music at your fingertips for $9 <laughs> a month or whatever it is? That's the one. You know, that's even it. that, I mean, <laughs> even that, and this, I maybe this is turning into an episode of Grumpy Old Men, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but even that thing of just having to save up for a record and, all those sorts yeah, of things. Yeah. I mean, there's different value it's placed special. on music now that that it it, ha, it has been devalued incredibly, and it's such a shame because it is a shame because it's one of the first things that people turn to in in times of high emotion, whether it's joy or sorrow or or ambivalence, <laughs> whatever it is, you know. Yeah, uh, it's music is has always kind of been my companion anyway in in that Me regard too. yeah but i think we just have you know you have to sort of roll with the punches and and change with the changes because oh, no doubt that yeah. music will music will still be those things to to people that are young yeah it's just it's just you know it's a bit, bit different it's, um, yeah i ingested mean differently exactly right and i mean the same goes for language i was reading a thing stephen fry was talking about you know that that um you know the way that language evolves and the way that text language is now kind of taking over common language in in just general use and and he was you know someone was kind of putting it to him that isn't this terrible it's so disgraceful and and he was like well no it's just evolution that's what happens yeah and and people I say lol now just deal with it do they <laughs> yeah lol lol <laughs> Well, thank God it did. It's not that Ruffle wasn't the one that became. Oh you know, my God! That would yeah. have been pretty annoying if people walked around saying <laughs> Ruffle. <laughs> Ru- lol, I'll accept. Ruffle can go and get fucked. <laughs> um, I wanted to quickly touch on before you were talking about the Brisbane music community, mm. and I find it interesting um, because I suppose I started identifying as part of the music community around a time when you were probably already sort of, you know, playing major massive shows. Right. And I remember there being like a real, it felt at the time like there was a real divide between the powder fingers of 
of Brisbane and and my little community. Right. And I remember it being a really big deal when you were wearing a seaplane t-shirt on the cover of some street <laughs> street press or something because yeah. seaplane were a band that were in our community yeah. and were our friends and yeah. I felt like that was a real sort of um amalgamation of, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of right. our two worlds. Oh wow. Okay. Well, you know, still I was a friend of mine and I love Seaplane. Of They're course. a great band. Yeah, um, so do I, yeah. Um yeah, and I guess I think it it forever destroyed his credibility. Um, and, and, <laughs> I don't think so. I think everyone went, cool. <laughs> yeah, right. No, okay. I think everyone was like, wow, our two worlds are colliding now. And <laughs> yeah, it was a strange thing. But I, I was, I guess my question was, did you ever feel like there was a us and them or like a um, no, different I, parts of the community or? Not at all. I, the thing is, I... I was never a huge partaker in the scene so much. Mm. Um, I was kind of, I would see and hear about it by kind of osmosis because Hoggy worked at the zoo and, um, and he was very connected to lots of people in bands, you know? Um, and then I still is. Yeah. And still is. That's right. He's a really active participant in that world. And, um, and it's awesome actually that he's doing that with his studio and doing those, those up in the airlock sessions and all that stuff. That's right. Um, and, but you know, I moved out of town. I moved to, I mean, it wasn't the boondocks, but it was Anstead, which is out, you know, near Mogul. Um, Mm -hmm in when was that 2000 or something like that kind of when Powderfinger had taken off I guess um and I was happy to be out of there I didn't want to be um I I wasn't very comfortable with with dealing with talking about Powderfinger all the time and I also had my first kind of proper home studio I guess so that's all I wanted to do was just make music um but you know I think it's probably easy for me to say, oh, no, I never knew of any divide in the community, but I think that's probably easier to say from my position because, you know, I was in a band that was doing well and, and yeah. um, I mean, I know that there was and there's, there remains in the music community some kind of antipathy towards Powderfinger and the kind of success that we had, I guess, but I, and I get the part about the ubiquity of Powderfinger because it really it would have really shit me off if I wasn't in the band. It even shat me off and I was in the band. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, Why did it shit you off? Tell me more about th- that feeling. Oh, uh, just the just the that overexposure thing, I guess. Um, yeah. And it was just and it just had become such a big machine. Um, and you know, to the point where the there were quite a lot of people whose livelihoods were depending on what we did yeah. as well, you yeah, know, and, that's and, stressful. and that, well, yes, yeah, stressful and kind of a responsibility that you never really consider in yeah. your wide eyed, you know, when you're putting on your Paul Stanley makeup when you're 11 um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. at the Tawong high school fate. I do remember doing that. Oh, um, that's very cute. Yeah. But um oh, you mean like road crew and yeah, you know, yeah, pe- exactly. people that are all part of the That's right. part of the exactly. management and yeah, that, yeah, yeah, all of that. And and you know, I guess that's also part of the kind of devil's bargain that you make when you if you decide you want to 
be a part of it or not. So, of and you know, there was there was all of that stuff in the '90s, especially about major labels versus indie labels and all of that stuff, um, which I think to a large extent now has disappeared because major labels are essentially distributors of indie labels yeah. anyway, really. Yeah. Um, so, and rightfully so, because they had become these big bloated disaster areas and and we were kind of we were probably one of the last bands in australia that was that was signed on what was called a development deal um so we we signed five for five albums and you know they i think universal or polydor at the time they planned for us to i guess start making the money by our third album so they would they would give you that that space because they believed in what you're doing, they just thought you needed more time to develop as writers. And that's you amazing, know, yeah. isn't it? That but would just never happen now. Oh God, no! You know, no way. Not in this economic rationalist world that we live in. But yeah. but um, the means of production are so so different now. You know, there was yeah. there was a huge gatekeeper there, which was the ability to record at at a at a high level, um, and and we. Um, we we kind of thought all of that was worth it to be able to do that to be able to make good recordings yeah. and and you know I I also realised that 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 has also been a criticism of Powderfinger that that it was too good or something you know like it was slick. too it's yeah slick. too slick yeah but I think that um, there's a there's a bit of a misunderstanding about that because um, we were doing what we wanted to do. I, th- I think there's, you know, we were talking about that idea that, you know, there's the snobbery and whatnot that goes on in the music world. Yeah. And there's this idea that, uh, especially amongst the kind of music journalists of the world, that, you know, the benchmark is the birthday party and and whatnot, right? So, um, but I had no interest in making music like that. I, I wanted yeah. it to be as good and sounding as great as it possibly could and and i think that again goes back to the beatles they they set well, yeah. the high mark in in that regard and kiss and kiss, kiss. super slick yeah that's right that's right um and you know if david bowie was actually slick as well but, oh, but yeah. that's that's conveniently ignored in the conversation about it as well you know so well also because maybe you know brian eno isn't seen as a slick no guy. he's more like experimental and cool but he still made slick records yeah that's you right know, people forget that yeah didn't he make a coldplay record <laughs> yeah, think, yeah. that's about as slick <laughs> as it gets isn't it so yeah <laughs> he did i always wanted to we always wanted to make music that sounded the best it possibly could and yeah and that means it doesn't mean that we we were strangling the life out of it it was just mm. we wanted to be good players and and good songwriters and good at, in the studio and good live and i think our recordings were pretty slick um yeah especially after internationalist even though that record sounds really it sounds great but there's probably a bit more freedom to the the writing and the kind of there's a bit more abandon in it um but uh after that i mean we deliberately for odyssey number five made made a record at we what was the the word that we used for it uh it was uh panoramic that's what we wanted to make yeah. we wanted to make music that was as wide as possible and that kind of was a bit of a reflection i think of the venues that we were playing in as well they were getting bigger and some of the kind of 
much more up-tempo stuff probably wasn't sounding that good and mm. things that were more downbeat actually gained a whole new life in a really big room. You've just mentioned um, how, how some of the songwriting changed. I'm really interested to talk to you about the way that you like to write songs and, you know, and you're talking about conviction before. Do you, over the mm. years, is it a compulsion to write? Like, do you feel like you need to do it all the time? Yeah, it is. Um, I only once have ever taken a break from it. Uh, I took a three-month break from it uh, deliberately to see what would happen. Um, what and happened? I was, oh, I was just fucking bored. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, there's something to it that it actually just, it kind of balances the shit for me, really, mentally, I think. Um, because, you know, 95% of what I write, no one ever hears. Um, because... It's shit. <laughs> um, but it's all part of the process and it's part of part of what I love about it is that, you know, if it was easy, anyone would do it. Anyone could yeah. do it. And, and it is easy to write a really simple song, but it's not easy to write two simple songs and it's, not e- it's mm. really hard to write ten simple songs. So, um, and I've always been interested in in making albums that's kind of how I grew up listening to music and it just seems like the natural way for me where songs are presented in in bunches you know um and so yeah I I am compelled to to write music and to play music I have kind of fallen a little bit into the trap of thinking that I'm compelled to record music and I think that sometimes sets me back a little bit okay. instead of just playing it for pleasure uh, and then it can be recorded at some time. I, I'm lucky in that I do remember almost everything I write. That's incredible. I was going to say how did, that's how I remember things. Yeah. I mean, less so now, n- less so now that I'm older and I have other responsibilities, I guess. Yeah. But I got a, f- I think I got a four track uh, around about the time of Internationalist or no, maybe Double Allergic. So, and, you know, I didn't always use it. It was more a matter of, because, because with Powderfinger, we, we went to rehearse kind of every day, you know? Yeah. That's what we did. So it was a job. Kind of. Yeah. It was, we, it was like a job. And then we worked at night to be able to pay, f- pay for that life. I guess. Yeah. Um, and it was more a matter of I would, I would go, you know, to work in inverted commas with Powderfinger. We'd work, we'd work on stuff that we'd, we had going and then I'd go home and I'd eat and then I'd just keep working. That's, I just kept writing. And so that, so that the next day or whenever the idea that I had was good enough to kind of take to what we used to call council, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, then, yeah, I just I just worked the whole time. That's that's what I, I I was really honestly compelled to do it. I I kind of was brought up with that kind of really strong work ethic and yeah. and it never left me and I'm and I think that anyone really that does anything of any substance over over a long period, over an extended period has that. 
there's there's very few people that can pull off the flash in the pan thing every few months you know like (laughs) don't you reckon i agree but I, I wonder, so if you're writing songs, you said like almost thematic, like you you want to come up with a group of songs, like an album, mm. do you think about things then a bit more mathematically? Like when you're writing a song, do you think, well, this one, I can't have the same structure or the same arrangement as the one previous, or this nah. one goes to a minor chord, so I don't want it, the next one to go to a minor chord in the chorus? Or No, it never occurs to me. Uh I, and also I, I kind of end up working out what a record's about or where it's headed after I've got five or six songs okay. of what will end up being, say, 20 that would get whittled down to 10. Um, yeah. And then I kind of – and it's very subconscious. It's one of those things where a theme kind of starts to emerge mm. after I write a certain amount. And, um, you know, the last couple of records – solo records that I made were about memory um, mm-hmm. and I didn't know that until I had about six songs and then I ended up making what was effectively a double record. I made two two records yeah. and they were released just slightly apart but, but there was 20 songs there and I guess there were probably 30 or 40 that were written for it. And That's so, crazy. So I just, yeah, but, you know, 10 of them were songs that got uh, maybe a couple of days' attention and and they were those things that seemed like a good idea at the time, you know. Sure. And it might be because I just listened to a Peter Gabriel record and there was an idea came and it reminded me of something that was on that Peter Gabriel record and then I would kind of pull that thread for a while, if especially especially if it was something that... I hadn't done before or or whatever mm-hmm. but I was never I was never bothered by using similar progressions or anything like that and I think that's probably a result of like spending a lot of time listening to blues where you can accept it's all the same well you yeah. can accept it it's it is all the same and now I don't listen to it at all anymore um you know unless it just pops up by itself yeah. um, but I don't deliberately go and listen to you know, Lightning Hopkins or anything like that. Even though when I hear it, I love it because it's yeah. it has that guttural soul yeah. to it. I've been enjoying it more as I get older. There's always some guy that's like playing with two fingers because yeah. the other fingers is lost in some <laughs> kind of accident. Yeah. In Vietnam, <laughs> and yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it's incredible. Like that that passion and, and yeah, I find that stuff fasc- more fascinating now than I ever have. Well, I, I know exactly what you mean and – It kind of, for me, the whole idea of making music is about distilling it down, 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 down and chopping it, chopping it, chopping it as much as possible. So it's a constant edit for you. Yeah, it's the least amount of ideas possible. Um, And blues certainly does that. It's And that may be, you know, probably, it's probably a result of listening to a lot of that stuff um, when I was younger. And um uh, but I, I still stand by that. I think it's mm. – and, and I think that is actually one of the kind of misconceptions about Powderfinger is that people say that it's really simplistic and they think that's an insult. And it's like, yeah, fucking right on, man. That's, that. that's actually what would – that's, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like it's like, yeah. fuck, you beauty. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, pitchfork. <laughs> <laughs> You can't. Um, yeah, no, I 
I, I'm really interested to hear more about the way that you write because this one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast is because I love hearing about how mm. different people do it in different ways. Yeah. And a lot of people, when they write lyrics, they... That you know they'll have a mumble track and then yeah. they'll figure out what the yeah. words were afterwards. Do you do you have tricks like that that you do? Uh, I think when back when Powderfinger were writing and so like I said we would go in and kind of rehearse all day, not rehearse, just write or whatever mm. um, all day. And by the end of that day, because you know Darren was writing a lot, Hoggy wrote a lot of riffs, especially, but mm. Darren would write songs. Um, I was writing songs. Cogs and JC were also really big contributors, especially to the arranging process. Um, but, you know, I would I could go home with five ideas a day that, that the wow. band had put together and we'd put onto a cassette or whatever or, you know, onto a four-track or something like that. Um, and, yeah, I would go home and I would – a lot of the time I would mumble track over that stuff and then see if something was working and then – write a lyric that worked for it um but when i write myself it's i don't know like it's so hard to explain and i know it's lame but it just kind of happens it's just it's just one of those things where it it really is miraculous the way that creativity kind of visits itself upon you because that's kind of the only way i can explain it it's like you've got this interruption from within you or i mean what's keith richards thing he's like you just stick the antenna up and grab what's going by i think that's what he says you know i think uh, i think ray davies said um you have to wait at the bus stop until the bus comes yeah that's true be at the guitar all the time and that and that is part of that work ethic thing that's that's all that is it's just it's okay to realize your limitations and and um patience is a really important part of writing you know it's 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 I I actually in the process of kind of going through all of this Powderfingers archive stuff that we've done for Odyssey number five anniversary which is later this year Mm. I went through and I kind of transferred all my old four tracks onto digital and so I had stuff from well, yeah, actually, I must have had a four track in 1995. So I had stuff from 1995 onwards um, until I got a computer device in probably, I don't know, 2001 or something like that. So yeah. there was a lot. I had probably 100 cassettes or something. Wow. Um, and and going through and listening to that and, you know, like I said, 90% of it's junk, but um, <laughs> it is. And, and I'm also still a terrible engineer recording engineer because i like <laughs> i like recording stuff loud because oh I, yeah yeah because i think it, everything just clipping all the time yeah and just i just think i don't know i think that it makes it rock or something i don't know i don't know <laughs> anyway um but uh going through that stuff was really interesting because i realized that you know, things had come up later, maybe 20 years later, that I had used that I'd subconsciously kind of borrowed from oh, wow. stuff that I'd written a long time before. And That's so cool. Well, yeah, and I think it's kind of a testament to the fact that the way that I started is actually not that different from yeah. how I do things now. And, I mean, I hope it's slightly more sophisticated, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
it's it's just a weird process, you know. Like I was saying about memory, just how so going through some of these the Powderfinger four tracks in particular were songs that I I hadn't heard for twenty years, wow. uh, and it would come on, and the opening riff would play, and I knew the melody, I knew the lyric, I knew everything, and it was a song that never even became a B side. You know, that's like, amazing. It's it's just weird. There's just this well of stuff in your brain that yeah. just is is untapped. You know, along with fucking useless stuff like your best friend's <laughs> phone number from 1978 as well. <laughs> I know. know. I still remember my phone number from when I lived in Melbourne, so I would have been yeah. like, yeah, up until 13, which is insane. I remember our phone number when it was six digits. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's how what old I it? am. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, you know what? It's still mum's phone number. Oh, wow. Okay, don't say it then. No, I better not say um. it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, mum's had that phone number. How old is she? She's 89. So she would have had that phone number since the 60s. Whoa. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I, speaking of memory, my, my grandmother has dementia and mm-hmm. she can play piano really beautifully. Wow. And she started playing songs that none of us have ever heard her play. Oh. So these songs from her childhood that she, you know, she probably learned 70 years ago um, are coming through now, which is just incredible. It's really amazing, isn't it? And dementia is so incredible. My dad had dementia for about three or four years before he died. Mm. He died right after Powderfinger split actually just a couple oh, wow. a couple of months after the band finished oh, dad must died have been so awful yeah it was pretty fucked um but you know he'd been ill for quite a while and yeah. um i mean not really physically ill he just he just he was he was kind of reverting back to being being a a young man again like he thought yeah. he thought my mum was his mum but oh, wow. it was actually his yeah. wife, you know, stuff like that, or his sister, or whatever. And some of some of it was beautiful. Some of it was incredible to witness. And and he was just, we were lucky. He was he was a really sweet, uh, just a really old fashioned gentleman, I suppose. Yeah. You know, really a really nice guy. And some people go through horrendous stuff with dementia, where they get violent yeah. and all that stuff. We yeah, we never had paranoid to, and stuff. Yeah, we didn't. Mm. We were so lucky with that. But um, but I think that's probably one of the things that really got me thinking about memory was w- witnessing that with Dad and just seeing seeing how you know you create all of these stories, don't you, in your mind about what your life about what your life has been and what it might be, um, and most of them are just inventions. They're just yeah. there's there's just such a murky underworld there in your memory that that is so interesting and so you know yeah. to the point where i've kind of wrote a couple of records about it um oh, that's amazing yeah and also like that that thing of you can't really trust your memory over anyone else's it's all just one yeah. person's account you know well it's true isn't it? <laughs> like I was talk- did we see each other in canada or that's not that's right we'll exactly. never know well and <laughs> and you know what now we'd be able to prove it because we'd we would have taken seven photos and, um, you know, it would be on Instagram or something. But I was talking to a friend about this yesterday that, like I said, I was the youngest and there were four kids. So there's like, I think there's one photo of me before I'm five. So, because, you know, in those days, photos weren't what they are today. They were, 
you know, we and we weren't really particularly, you know, visual family in that sense. We didn't never had a video camera or anything that like that. Um, so there's lots of those memories that you have are kind of determined by the photos that you see and all that sort of stuff. And we were talking about that with our kids that now everything's so heavily documented that they, you know, there'll be little conjecture about what actually happened, um, which is, has, has its benefits and also has its, has its detractions, I guess. You said before that you were, that you're constantly editing. Mm. How do you then know when you finished? Like, can, do well, you need someone to go, this is it now? Do you need a, a produ- producer or something to say, okay, No, because I, I do, I kind of subscribe to that. I think it was Da Vinci theory of just, you just abandon stuff. You just in the, you know, you, yeah. you never finish. It's never finished. And I mean, um, most people, most musicians that I talk to are the same. You listen back to stuff that you've recorded and, and you go, oh yeah, that's good or whatever, or that could yeah. have been better the, you know, uh, there's a, that, that harmony sucks or whatever it is, you know, that just, just things or that lyric, especially, especially stuff that I was writing in doomsday shit that I was writing in the early days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was such a fucking negative, negative creep in those days. <laughs> um, I definitely have lyric regrets from yeah. back then. Yeah. Um, but what about um, when you listen to your singing, how that's changed? Do you, what are your thoughts on how your voice has developed? Um, well, like everybody, when I first was hearing it, it sounded like I had a peg on my nose, basically. You know, um, <laughs> a, lo- a lot of people would argue that I still sound like I have a peg on my nose. Um, <laughs> and that's fair enough because I do have a pretty nasal tone in my voice, <laughs> uh, which I'm okay with because it's just my voice. There's not much I can do about it. Um, yeah, that's it. Uh, and I certainly don't want to start singing like, you know, Jim Morrison for the sake of it. Um, yeah, it's definitely too late for that. You would have yeah, had to have made that decision in the probably. <laughs> late 80s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I I mean, I'm fairly comfortable with it. I, I've never had singing lessons. I've never um, looked after my voice. I've always drunk too much and smoked too much and whatnot. So I have probably in that sense taken it for granted a little bit um yeah and I don't know really how I became a singer I don't I don't really understand how that happened because I didn't mean it I didn't mean to are you comfortable (laughs) being a singer now that you have your solo thing you're obviously playing a lot of instruments but in Powderfinger you quite often were just standing with a microphone yeah that's right um, just puncing around with my giant atomic <laughs> mushroom. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it's true. But um, I'm comfortable with being a singer. I'm still not entirely comfortable with being a performer. Um, and I am still, I'm still a reluctant performer in a lot of ways. Um, but I have probably i mean in 2003 we powderfinger we said okay let's let's have uh, some time off so we said let's maybe see if we can take a year off and you know if you want to travel or do do something because we'd we'd actually been in the powderfinger kind of mode since 1991 and we'd never had more than maybe a month off or something like that in that time um and so I made my own my own 
solo record, my first record, Tune Sympathy, and it was much quieter and much more intimate sounding music. And so, and by then, we Powderfinger was we were playing, you know, at the River Stage and places like that, I yeah. guess. And so yeah, I was really happy enough. happy to get to something way smaller and it made the shows more intimate and I and it actually became a lot more comfortable for me talking to the audience and and kind of just treating it like a conversation really more than anything and that that helped me a lot uh and then that kind of transferred a little bit back into Powderfinger later the the shows became a lot more friendly I think than they had been prior to that um and just that kind of realization of the bleeding fucking obvious is that people 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 want to see you and they want they want it to be good they want you to to do well you know that idea about communicating something mm. to people or, or it, it's not even to people for me it's about communicating an idea that i have to myself that's essentially what it is right and that's why i keep working at it and working at it until I can distill that idea down into something that I can recognise and be not necessarily comfortable with, but something that I can say, okay, that's a solid idea. It yeah, something you're proud of. Yeah, I guess. It's not even so much that. It's not it's not even appealing to my own vanity or anything. And it's it's more I don't know, it's probably a um a symptom like i said of my upbringing of that thing of the, like the work ethic of of it of it needing to be worthwhile doing something yeah well maybe it comes back to the what we were talking about before about having conviction yeah i guess that's what that's actually what it is yeah just that thing of just just having to make sure that there's an idea there that's worth that i would want to hear yeah you know that's really beautiful i think that that's a lifetime of work you know you can it, it keep is. working on that forever and it and it won't become boring that that's right i mean there is there is no end it's like mm. you know it's like golf you're never gonna actually <laughs> fucking beat the game it's not like you can yeah. win it's you know yeah. it sucks <laughs> it sucks but it's fucking awesome so yeah. you know that's uh that's what's beautiful like that about analogy. it is is that you can you're never finished you are never finished and you never will be till the day you die you won't have have done and said enough um yeah to where you go okay i'm i'm done with this there, there might be yeah. you know th- like for example powderfinger when when we wound up we were finished we were like that's that's enough we we had just kind of done as much time as we could possibly do in that in that environment, and um, and I mean now ten years later, it's it's there's a lot more perspective on that scenario, and you know I think the, we've got fifteen kids or something between us, and yeah. <laughs> um, that puts everything in very clear fucking perspective, doesn't it? Like yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, that was actually really easy being in a band, touring around, yeah. staying in nice hotel rooms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can I do that again? <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I guess um, that's a good segue into really quickly talking about your your 
fundraiser show that you did the other night um, with Powderfinger. That was a one one night reformation. Yeah, it was for the best cause possible. It's you know mm. trying to help artists and trying to help people's mental health. Yeah, it would have meant a lot to a lot of people that you did that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the that's the feedback that we've been getting. And, I mean, another key factor for us also and for me was I think, you know, the drought, the bushfires, the floods, they've all been really swept over by mm. COVID-19 and, yeah. and there was already going to be we're, all, we're in the midst of a mental health crisis. There's three million people right. in our country that mm. have anxiety or depression. I, I get yeah. anxiety. More on that later. Me too. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry for but, laughing. No, I, no, can, no. I can laugh because I also I get it. Yeah, sadly. and you know, I think it's okay to laugh about mental mental illness as well. It's not you're not if you're not laughing at somebody. I mean, my brother actually died from cancer and um, from melanoma and. You know, a cancer joke is pretty bloody funny when you're yeah. when you're dealing with it because it's when it's, you need it. When you need yeah. it, it's it's okay. You know, and mental illness shouldn't be taboo in that regard because it it, it keeps the stigma if it is. You know, um, so the rationale also was to help people from all walks of life you know there's a domestic violence crisis there's all these things and and we thought that beyond blue is kind of a catch-all for for anybody that's struggling and whether it's directly from losing your job or whatever it is but Mm. they um they're a pretty together organization they really they really have their their expertise and especially in this world where expertise is just consistently ignored and yes. and belitt- belittled and yes. ridiculed by the fucking morons on the kind of conservative side of politics especially yeah. and the media so um you know it's just we're just trying to, we're trying to help we we honestly are trying to help and we don't um want or hope for any accolades for it we just we just want to help and we and we thought the reason that we did it was because it was the circumstances are so weird and so unusual yeah. and because it sounded like it was going to be really hard so we just said yeah let's try let's try fuck yeah. it let's try you know do you feel like you could have done it live so you did a, a pre-record yeah. didn't you no we well we talked about that originally and then we talked to youtube about it and they told us not to um, okay uh, too much room for error yeah basically and um I don't think anybody anticipated how kind of big it ended up being or how you know how many how much how many views there were and how much money was raised and all that stuff but even on a much smaller scale they kind of said because we were in five different places you know and um it was the only way and at the time that we said okay let's do this all the restrictions were in place all the borders were closed you know people will hear this probably i don't know when in a few weeks or whatever and you know things may be a whole lot more freed up but but um at the time that we decided to do it it wasn't actually physically possible for us to do it i wasn't allowed to go to queensland yeah that's right um so um yeah Look, we, it would have been it would have been great to do that, but also we haven't played together for ten years, so doing that without rehearsing together is kind of oh, it would have um, been really hard. Yeah, it would have been really hard, and probably would have been kind of shit as well, you know. Yeah. And how did you do it then? Um, so we got 
old performances of the songs that we had done and made a map basically. Oh, cool. So, so Cogs played the drums to that first yep. and then we all just played to him. But we did it all We did it all in real time. It wasn't like tracking in the studio where you get halfway through and you play a bum note and you, you go, okay, let's go back and start again. It was, yeah. it was live. So the, the video went on. The film went on and the and the tape machine started. I'm fucking what year is it? Nineteen seventy five, the you know <laughs> Pro Tools. The ADAT the yeah. ADAT started and yeah. uh <laughs> Yeah. The um yeah, wow. yeah, the stylus started cutting the cutting the <laughs> vinyl. Um Yeah, so it was like that, it was in real time. So That's cool. Yeah, so which you was, all sort of which, had to practice by yourselves along with the old versions and then yeah pretty much uh, that and was then do your own yeah that was right wow. yeah so, so cool. i mean yeah i mean i think we we tried to kind of get the message out there as much as possible that that was the case but i think when something's when something's called a live stream which is technically i think from youtube's point of view that's what it is because yep. it was being live streamed for the first time you know um so but, you know, we were talking about it in the media and telling everyone about it, but, you know, people don't really listen. They just go, oh, Powderfinger reunion. It's called live. Kaboom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. And then sure. every, everyone's <laughs> fucking eyes roll back in their head and everyone starts, you know, <laughs> saying ridiculous things. Yeah. So, so and yeah. was But was it nice to, to sort of, you know, I presume you guys had heaps of chats together beforehand. And, yeah, it was awesome, um, actually. It was, was it nice to reconnect with everyone? It was so good. I mean we've all, we've always been you know on pretty good terms and you know yeah. hoggy's hoggy's been playing guitar in my band this year yeah that's right um stuff like that so he plays guitar for everyone he does <laughs> he's a man whore when it comes to that isn't he <laughs> um, the best kind yeah don't edit that out whatever you do <laughs> um, uh, but yeah look it was it's been a really great experience and yeah you know i mean as cheesy as it sounds we re- we really wanted to try and make people feel good and we wanted to see if we could raise some money and that i mean the money the raising money side of it just went wildly beyond expectations yeah, how so. much did you raise do you, do you know well, a figure? i think i think as of today it's like four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. wow that's yeah. incredible you it should be so proud of that to be sp- oh, well, i mean when we're, we're proud of you know facilitating it but we didn't raise the money people people put their hands in their pockets and did it and and also we weren't sure if people had any money left after yeah the the, you know the people were really generous around the fires and floods and whatnot as well and then this you know so many people have lost their jobs and actually don't have any fucking money so i know we've been we were really lucky. I mean, and I, I looked actually on the donation page and most of them were 10 and $20. So that's, that's a yeah, lot of 10 and $20 to get to $450,000. So That's so amazing. Yeah. What a yeah, great thing to do. Yeah, it was it was really good. I mean, we totally applaud the people that did it. I mean, we don't take any credit for that at all. We 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 got to take a little bit of credit for getting those people together. Yeah, the gathering place. You know, we, it was like doing a gig. People bought people bought a lot of the merch as well, which is all going to it as well. Which which is a oh, I think that's a that was a good tangible thing, and it's probably for anyone that's doing any of these isolation gigs, it's probably something to consider that mm. that people do because you're not physically there. People want a memento of of yes. what they're 
they're witnessing, you know. And I mean, I, th- I imagine that the whole model of gigs is going to change for quite a while now, and and I that think so and that too. people can realistically expect um, people to pay five or ten dollars yes. by subscription, whether or twenty dollars, whatever the fuck it is, I don't know. But a way to bring to bring people back into the economy, you know, just yeah, so that they've. Got, I agree. They're not relying on on the government. I mean, they may still be relying on the government, but just to supplement that a little bit and help out. Um, So I have a couple of really quick little questions um, that I wanted to ask you about before I get into my last one. Sure. Um, You were talking before about not totally being comfortable as a performer. What do you put on your um, customs card at the airport? (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, that that has evolved. We started when we were traveling a lot, for Powderfinger, we used to put like poet slash dancer and stuff like that just to see what would happen. <laughs> yeah, um, but so I, what I, is it I, now? I do I do put musician on my yeah. card now, and I mean most of the time at the airport, the people are aware of the fact that I am a musician, so w- there'd sure. be no real point in me putting economist. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be kind of weird. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Um, next question. I am obsessed with Omnichords and you've written a piece about Omnichords. I have. Yes. Um, how many do you have? And, and maybe you can talk a tiny bit about Omnichords to me now. I, I don't have an Omnichord. I only have a Q chord. Um, okay. Almost um, the same. Thing. Yeah. Almost the same, but not quite the same, is it? Um, I just, it, they're incredible, aren't they? They're, they're, it's like instant they're music. Magical. It's instant mm. music. Um, on Golden Rule, which was Powderfinger's last record, we we used one obsessively to the point where we sort of said, "Okay, there's got to be Omnichord on every song. It doesn't even matter if it's <laughs> if it's any good or if, or if you can really hear it. It's just got to be a on tiny there." Blinker, blinker. Just, just yeah. a little, just a little gimmick. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we used we used that a lot. Um, I love it. Yeah, they're, they're amazing. I mean, writing that that story about Omnichords was just as much an excuse to talk to Jermaine from Flight of the Concords oh, yeah. as anything. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. <laughs> I, um, next question. Yes. Is there a song that makes you cry when you hear it or makes you very emotional? You know, well, I've, I wouldn't say there's one that always makes me cry, but, but it happened to me recently. I was gardening with headphones on um and i was really hung over and <laughs> um and peter gabriel again uh so by peter gabriel kind of just came up in my mm-hmm. in my shuffle and that song don't give up i mean i know this just sounds like absolute cheese the one with kate bush um that's amazing i mean that's an incredible song but but also the performance so, yeah the, the performance is unbelievable and and peter gabriel's voice is is just it's mesmerizing the way he uses yeah. it i actually made a record at his studio um in england at real world yeah um amazing and yeah and he was there all the time and he was the most down-to-earth normal person you could hope That's to meet. So nice I was, to hear. yeah, he was, he was like a, just a delightful human interested in what we were doing, you know, always like asking us about Australia, making us tea, that kind of guy. Aww, in fact, he was making so us, nice. he was making us PG tips, Peter Gabriel tips, which is a, a brand of <laughs> what tea. What is it? it a PG tips is, a, is kind of like the Lipton's of the UK. 
but he was making his PG tips. And I was <laughs> just like, really nice. oh, this just gets better and better. <laughs> um, okay. So I'm going to ask you my last question. Can you tell me uh, what is your strangest show experience? Okay. Um, uh, in 2017, um, I, we were t- I was touring with my band, not with Powderfinger, just doing my own Bernard Fanning shows. It sounds so weird mm-hmm. saying that, talking about yourself in <laughs> yeah. third person. It, it Actually, when Powderfinger split, it was that was um, I had a small identity crisis because I used to be, hi, this is Bernard from Powderfinger, but now I was yeah. Bernard Fanning from Bernard Fanning. It was pretty weird. Yeah, yeah. I had the sa- exactly the same thing. And my band didn't have a name, so they would be just called the Sayer Band, which yeah. is even worse. Yeah, <laughs> fucking megalomania.com. <laughs> <laughs> like okay. what band do you play in, the Sayer yeah. Band? Yeah. Ugh. What are you talking about? I play in Bernard Fanning. What else? What else would I play in? <laughs> Numb nuts. <laughs> oh, sorry. Continue. <laughs> okay. So uh, I was playing with my band, The Blackfins, in yep. London uh, in December 2017. It was. Um, we were finishing kind of two years of recording those two records that I talked about earlier, um, recording and touring and writing and whatnot. <clears throat> and it was the last... It was the last couple of shows and then we were kind of shutting down. I was going to stop for a while. Um, and we we went to Ireland first and um, did we, we actually did a little band holiday. We drove around the south of Ireland for a few days and drank Guinness and had a really good time. And then I kind of started to not feel very good and I th- was pretty jet lagged um and we had gigs coming up so I started to take it easy and then we did a show in Dublin which was really good and then we we kind of had to do one of those crazy frantic up at five on a plane at seven um loading in at two um and getting through London traffic you know getting from Dublin to London that day and doing a show that night and all that stuff um and uh and I was feeling okay I was tired but and I went on stage and the opening song was just me by myself singing a song with an acoustic guitar. And I walked on stage and up until the minute that I got there, I was feeling totally pretty normal, you know, just like any before any show. Um, mm. And uh, then I kind of stood up, started playing the song and I just immediately felt like I was going to black out and I fainted, oh, I, no. I fainted a bit as a kid. Uh, I had low blood pressure or something as a kid, so I knew what the feeling was, and I was like, "Fuck, I'm 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 going to go over." I was about to go oh, over, so no. so <clears throat> I was, and in the kind of, and this is you know, in, there was I think there was 800 people there or something like that. Oh no! Um, and and I was like, "Oh, what the fuck?" So I've got a conversation going on in my head, going, "What the fuck is going on?" I'm going to black out, but I'm still playing the song. I'm still playing the riff on the guitar, and then I kind of you know, bent over to try and get some blood into my head because I thought I was going to faint and uh, I was kind of just sort of rocking around like a drunk Neil Young on stage. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I'm sure people were thinking like, wow, I've never seen him start a show like this before. Yeah, yeah. That's weird. And, he's wasted. Uh, yeah, he's fucking wasted. And so, and I, part of it, part of the anxiety of doing it, of, of being there and being in that situation meant that I wasn't really thinking right. So I just kept going and I, 
I, I did the song and I finished it and the band came on stage and Sal Campbell said to me, um, how are you going? Like she's the friendliest human on the face of the earth. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm all right. And she said that she'd kind of, she was watching me and she was going, oh, there's some weird shapes that he's pulling up there. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I did the entire show like that. Like I was on the verge of blacking Whoa. out the, for the entire show um, and, you know, like sweating my ass off the whole thing. And I was just like, what what is going on? I thought I was sick. You know, I thought I had a virus or a fever or something. Yeah. Um, and then I... You know, we've, we, I finished the show. I didn't say anything to the audience. But I was, like, to be singing and on the verge of vomiting at the same time uh, is a pretty weird experience. And that that thing of, like, your brain being able to separate what's going on in your body from what you're actually doing is so yeah. bizarre. And, oh, yeah. And... and unusual anyway i made it through the show i kind of that's incredible got off, i got off stage and i told the band and that's what sal was saying yeah that's pretty weird i thought it was a bit weird what was going on i didn't want to say anything to them because i didn't want them to be worried about it you know yeah on stage anyway then we had another show the same place the next night another um another gig there we were playing two nights and I before I was playing, I was kind of okay. I didn't feel that good, but I was okay. I felt kind of really shitty the the whole time. And then I went on stage the next night and I told the audience, I said to them, this is what happened to me last night. I don't know what the fuck happened, but it was really weird. But I just want you to know that if I do go down, um, <laughs> because I'm not, I don't, I don't actually feel very good. Like if I go down, just either, you know, step politely out of the way or try and stop me from smashing my head on the ground. But it's also it's also <laughs> oh. not because I'm fucking wasted, you know. It's, it's, it's because there's something wrong. Anyway, and when I told the audience, I was fine. It turns out, so I came, came home to Australia. That was the last show. Uh, the, the show was an absolute belter, one of the best gigs we've ever done, actually, that night. Yeah. Um, and... Um, came home to Australia and went to see my doctor and he was like, okay, we've got to sort of start trying to work out what this is. And I, over a year I was, you know, I was going to vestibular physios trying to work out if I had something wrong with my ears and my balance and all this stuff because yeah. it, it started happening to me on the road as well. Um, and so it was just sort of an ongoing thing. You were you were feeling pretty shitty on stage a lot. Yeah, yeah. It happened the next few times, but but it was, it was also happening to me in the car and stuff. So uh, it turns out that it was anxiety. Whoa! And it was they were panic attacks, and they were brought on by coffee. Oh wow! Yeah. So I had I had reached some kind of threshold, I guess, with coffee. I couldn't take it anymore so it was stimulating your adrenaline too much and that was giving you anxiety or I, I guess so yeah and and also I think because I was really jet lagged I was probably drinking you know three yeah. three cups a day or something like that and it just brought it on and whoa yeah it's it really fun. yeah but I mean I had never really experienced anxiety attacks or panic attacks before but it was full-blown versions of those which are not fun to have in front of people no. it was it was really weird but um 
Actually, I haven't. I have never talked about it before. Not with not with anyone in public. Um, and like all of my friends and my family and whatnot, everybody knows. Um, but that's part of that that mental health health stigma thing too, isn't it? That that thing where we've got to talk about it. Definitely, it's, it happens to everyone. It does. Even slick bastards like me, <laughs> <laughs> like you and me. That's yeah, right. <laughs> I I definitely can relate to it. I've because mine. I've had definitely had anxiety attacks that were linked to. Um, stage fright yeah and right. which is weird after years and years and years on stage mm. i just for some reason started having them and mine were were i would get really really tired like yeah, before right. a, before a show i would mm. feel like i could hardly open my eyes and i'd just yawn and yeah right um yeah it was like my adrenaline was stimulated so much that it just went into shutdown or something yeah it was really strange yeah isn't it yeah bizarre how it can sort of happen you know mid-career or you know yeah i mean that's right for me 30 years into it that happened to me for the first time and strangely enough you know, I guess I was under physical stress because I was jet lagged and whatnot yeah. and pretty tired from f- like we'd been doing a lot of touring and all that sort of stuff. But it just can happen anytime. It's and you have no control over it. I mean, I have ended up being able to control it by not drinking coffee, which kind of sucks. Was that all it took? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Plus, I think I try to redu- reduce the amount of stress there is in my world around when I'm doing shows and stuff like that. But it's, yeah, I mean, it took away the kind of um, peripheral vision weirdness when I was driving and all that stuff that I was getting, which was kind of like a dizziness. You know, a few a few times driving from Brisbane to Byron, I had to stop. I had to pull over and, and stop and stuff like that. So, yeah, look, I um, at, at this point it doesn't happen to me anymore. Um, who knows if it would ever come back again? I mean, that's one of the insidious things about anxiety is the fear of the anxiety as well, which creates more anxiety. So, um, it's it's, spiral. It is, it is. Um, and I don't, I don't know that you can ever really understand it until you, until you experience it, the, Mm. the dread, yeah, that feeling of dread and, um, you know, you can empathize, but you, you don't really know until it happens to you yeah that's right Hmm. something that someone told me once which i found really helpful was when you're in a spiral like that all you need is a circuit breaker which would change the root of your thinking so if you're spiraling and you're worried about whatever's going to happen you need to put in you can't just say, well, stop thinking about it. You kind of need to train your brain to to think about something else or to think about, you know, I guess that's why people people practice mindfulness because yeah, it's right. a bit of a circuit yeah. breaker to whatever's of, happening. Oh, I mean, that that helps, no doubt. So so that, that method's a bit like the Tony Basil's Mickey, if you want to forget a song, if you've got a song stuck in your head <laughs> and you want to forget it. Hoggy taught me this one, actually. You do it and it works. It's bizarre. Yeah. Have you Have you done that? Have you done Mine that? Mine is I want to be sedated. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, for, that's Hoggy, my Mickey. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a good one. But yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I I never knew that trick, and then Hoggy taught it to me. You know, like you've got some horrendous Barry Manilow song going yeah. around your head or that you ac- accidentally, yeah, yeah, accidentally heard, <laughs> and you just whip into a bit of Ah, oh, Mickey, you're so fine, you're so fine, you're blue, <laughs> Mickey, and it's gone. Yeah, it's like magic. 
<laughs> yeah, I have exact. I do it all the time, but with um, I want to be sedated because I'll never get sick of that song. It's, yeah, twenty 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 four hours ago. That's <laughs> yeah. a good, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that one next time. I'll see how it goes. I yeah, send I can't, me a text. The amazing <laughs> thing, though, the amazing thing is that Mickey by Tony Basil being one of the catchiest songs of all time. Yeah, doesn't get stuck in your head. Oh. So it's not like you're substituting one terrible song for another. It actually just cancels it out. Oh, I'm not sure if um, the Ramones is like that. I think you just get that song in your head, but it's That's still okay. That's okay because okay, it's a good song. It's better than yeah. Mickey <laughs> or Barry Manilow. <laughs> Fuck. God help us. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for talking to me about your anxiety. I know, um, you know, it's it's a big thing to talk about and I'm glad you did and especially in light of... Uh, all the money you've raised for Beyond Blue. And like you said, it's so important to normalize it because everyone fucking gets it. And um, the more people talk about it, the easier it'll get, I think. Yeah. If it becomes like, you know, asthma. Yes. You know, there's no no shame or stigma around asthma. And it's not not something that you did to yourself. No. You know, that's right. It's just, yeah. it's just luck of the draw, really. I mean, of course, you can contribute to to reducing your anxiety. There's no doubt about that. Um, yes. And you know, stimulants are no doubt the amount of stimulants that we have in our lives are are contributing to that to why that's so bad society wide. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, I still drink tea though. Yeah, I was going to ask. Yeah, tea's okay. Tea's okay. Doesn't have the same impact i drink decaf coffee as well so okay yeah i i drink tea coffee makes me absolutely mentos yeah um i can't i'd I'd like burst into tears if i drink coffee (laughs) really and yeah it's really bad i i and i for me i feel like some of it is psychosomatic like i i can't Mm. drink it because Mm. i know that it will start something yeah Um, but tea is fine you know, Coca-Cola sometimes would have it and it's fine. Yeah, right. Um, Red I mean, Bull I try and avoid. Yeah, I'm no, I couldn't go near that. So I've, that Actually, you know, years ago I drank that with vodka to when I, when I was sick for a Powderfinger oh, show. Yeah. I was really sick and I was had that same thing of like basically falling asleep before going on and that was, that was not a good experience. No. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I never, I never drank coffee till... Andrea came and to live with me in Australia and I only started drinking coffee because I was too lazy because I I was always up first. So mm-hmm. I would make her a, a the stovetop of coffee and yeah. then I would make myself tea as well. And then and then I just eventually was just like, oh, fuck it, I couldn't be bothered making both. So I just started <laughs> drinking coffee. <laughs> so I just don't think my measly little Irish Catholic body is is made for for coffee. <laughs> I'm not Euro yeah. enough. I'm still I'm still from you know that little island. I, my genes yeah. my genes are telling me it's okay to drink tea, son. But that's it, <laughs> right? That's it. No more. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, it was so nice to talk to you. Oh, Thanks for making the time and um, so good and so easy. I hope that we can see each other in in person soon. Yeah, when they let us over the border, <laughs> when they let yeah. us dirty cockroaches over the border. <laughs>